It is no longer business as usual here at Mount Olivet. Not since last Sunday. Last Sunday, when Mary and Mary found the empty tomb and the divine messenger said, he has been raised, he is not here. Things are different now. The resurrection was something that had never happened before, so therefore, things cannot be the same. Eastertide is the 50 days that sit between Easter and Pentecost, and it's a unique time of celebration that rises out of the empty tomb for those who claim the Christian faith. After we put away our Sunday best of Easter, we expect business to get back to normal at the church. We expect things like Sunday school or small groups or choir rehearsals to get back to normal. We expect that our pastors will be a little less strung out on caffeine. But the resurrection has changed everything. Living in the aftermath of the empty tomb, living in the aftermath of the resurrection of Jesus Christ leaves you with little choice. Life is different now. It's no longer business as usual. Last Sunday in The Way, I shared that the Beyonce of the Episcopal Church, Fleming Rutledge, refers to the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ as a trans-historical event. Meaning that the events of Good Friday and Easter morning span the boundaries that we like to place on history the implications of Good Friday and Easter morning are not reserved for Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. Reverend Rutledge goes on to state that on the cross, we see the true nature of Christian love. But let's take that a step further this morning. In the empty tomb, we see the true nature of the love of God overcoming the violence and silence of death. The empty tomb on Easter morning is God's vindication of the cross as love. Now, we're two paragraphs into the sermon this morning, and we've hit some pretty heavy theology. If that doesn't tell you that Easter tide is not business as usual, I don't know what will. For 50 days, Mount Olivet will be living in the reality of the resurrection. This means that we will be shaped by the expectation-shattering reality that death has given way to life. The yielding of death to life, new life rising out of death, that's our theme for worship over the next 50 days. A life coming from death, a surprise to say the least, cannot be business as usual. Our scripture reading this morning begins in the evening of Easter. Hours removed from Mary Magdalene's proclamation that she had seen the Lord, the disciples now fear for their lives. They feared retribution from the same authorities that had condemned Jesus to die on a cross. Jesus' closest friends, those who knew him best, who had seen miracle after miracle, are now cowering behind a door, fearing the same fate that Jesus experienced just three days earlier. By itself, this reading makes little sense. Jesus is risen. 
the resurrection, God's surprising vindication over the cross is complete. Why would the disciples be hiding? But the long shadow of Good Friday casts fear, a fear caused by the trauma of what the disciples had seen and what they had heard. The fear the disciples are still experiencing three days removed from Good Friday is the same fear that caused them to abandon Christ, even denying him in his darkest hour. The disciples have not yet seen the resurrected Christ, but they have seen what happened on Good Friday. They knew whether Jesus was resurrected or not, it was no longer business as usual for them. Instead of being able to freely move around Jerusalem and the region, they were now hiding behind a locked door. Fear is a crippling thing, and we all fear different things. In a week or so, some of us are going to fear filing our taxes because, well, we waited to the last minute, and one number doesn't add up with another number that we projected last year. Some of us fear things like spiders and snakes, while others fear possible rejection by family, friends, or peers. Fear changes you from within. Whether it's a minor fear or an extreme phobia, there's nothing pleasant about it when that nasty surprise visits you. For some of you, when you're confronted by fear, you carpe the you-know-what out of the diem. You conquer that fear every single time it rears its head. But there are others of us who, when confronted by fear, freeze. And if possible, we shut the door and we lock it. Even if there's an option to leave the fear-filled situation, a door B or C or D, fear casts a shadow and clouds our ability to see what is standing right in front of us. Mary Magdalene told the disciples what had happened, but they did not believe her. The disciples did not trust Mary's account and now are, have resorted to cowering and fear. Fear clouded their ability to hear the Easter proclamation, so Jesus decides to go to them. Jesus offered them the peace of God But it was not until they saw his hands and his side, the scars left from the trauma that they fled from on Good Friday, that they recognized their teacher and their dear friend. The cloud of fear was not raised until they saw that which they feared the most. After the disciples saw Jesus, they went and told the disciple who was missing that Jesus had appeared. They told Thomas what they had heard and what they had seen, echoing the very same message that they received from Mary Magdalene and that they did not believe. Thomas, instead of hiding, demands a response. Unless I see the mark of the nail in his hands and I put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, A week after Easter, Jesus appears before his disciples again with the same greeting as before, and then Jesus offers Thomas the proof that he demanded. It took a week for Jesus to appear before Thomas and show him the mark of the nails 
offering Thomas that which he said he required. A week is a long time to wait for anything, especially if you're waiting in fear. Thomas doesn't need to put his fingers into Jesus' hand or his hand into the side of Christ. The peace of Christ was enough. And from this encounter, Thomas gets a really bad rap. Let's not forget that the other disciples had a very similar response to Mary. But instead of asking for proof or to see Christ, they ran and hid. Prior to receiving the peace of the risen Christ, the disciples, they didn't know what to do. The peace of the Lord extended by Christ to the disciples is different from the handshakes that we offer to one another on Sunday mornings. Because when we offer them on Sunday mornings, we're trying to figure out, am I standing up too long? Am I gripping someone's hand too long? Is it weird? I don't know them. I don't want to come off as that weird church person and scare someone away. I better sit back down before Dr. Shaner starts playing again or before Pastor Ed starts praying. There's so much going on. I say that tongue-in-cheek because there's an order to our lives that will be interrupted by Christ when we extend the peace of Christ to someone else. That is to say, when Jesus Christ himself is standing before you with the scars of Good Friday. Because when that happens, business as usual is no longer an option. Receiving the presence of Christ is not a moment of routine or just a small part of our worship service. It is a life-changing interaction. So when you reach your hand out this morning offering the peace of the Lord to someone in worship, you are extending an invitation for the business of that person's life to be turned upside down. Every Thursday night, in a class on the books of Luke and Acts at Wesley Theological Seminary, our professor, Dr. Shively Smith, begins our class with a reading from Meditations of the Heart. It's written by Reverend Howard Thurman. Reverend Thurman was an author, theologian, pastor, and civil rights leader. The beginning of class, just like in any school, is a noisy time. Students are getting settled. Half of us are late due to traffic on Massachusetts Avenue. There is usually the clanging of plates and silverware as someone thinks that they're quietly eating their dinner. And there's always a cell phone that goes off, and it's usually Dr. Smith's. I hope she doesn't listen to this. This past Thursday, though, was not business as usual. Everyone was on time. There wasn't the usual chaos that accompanied the beginning of class. To say it was odd is an understatement. Then Dr. Smith began to read from Reverend Thurman's meditation. And for once, we were all able to sit without the chaos and listen. Here's what she read. There's something completely or something compelling and exhilarating about the glad surprise, the emphasis upon the glad. There are surprises that are shocking, startling, frightening, and bewildering. But the glad surprise is something different from all of these. It carries with it the element of elation, life, or something over and beyond the surprise itself. There is a deeper meaning in the concept of the glad surprise. 
The meaning has to do with the very ground and foundation of hope about the nature of life itself. It is as if a man, stumbling in the darkness, having lost his way, finds the spot at which he falls is the foot of a stairway that leads from darkness into light. Such is the glad surprise. Reverend Thurman is describing exactly how the disciples felt when the cloud of fear was lifted by the presence of Christ. After receiving the peace of the Lord, the peace that can only come from the risen Christ, the glad surprise of Easter was able to commence. It was not until the glad surprise of Easter was recognized that the disciples could proceed, moving from locked rooms to living the life that, as Reverend Thurman puts it, cannot ultimately be conquered by death. The fear that clouded Easter for the disciples is lifted by the glad surprise of the resurrection. It's difficult for us today, 2,000 years later, to realize the glad surprise of the resurrection. It's easier for us to put our Easter best back into the closet, to put our baskets in the basement for another year, because last Sunday evening, Jesus did not appear to us behind the locked doors of our homes. For us today, we find the glad surprise of the resurrection in the words of those who witnessed the resurrection firsthand. Out of the glad surprise of Easter, the witness of the disciples begins arising. Author Brian McLaren refers to it actually as an uprising. Their witness, rising out of the peace of Christ, changes the way that we go about our day-to-day life of not only the local church, but in their witness, the cloud of fear that comes with dying to ourselves when we choose to follow Christ. That fear is gone, and our uprising into a new life that is only possible in the light of the empty tomb begins. Christ is still risen. Thanks be to God. Amen.